Welcome to another session with the Market Dominance Guys, a program exploring all the high stakes, speed bumps, and off ramps of driving to the top of your market with our host, Chris Beal from Connect and Sell, and Corey Frank from Branch 49. Corey and Chris continue their discussion about inertia and constraints. How can leaders identify hidden constraints shaping their strategy? What fosters innovation, centralization, or decentralization? Can classic texts offer counterculture wisdom to elevate leadership today? Pulling insights from ancient to modern thinkers, Corey and Chris tackle these questions and more. They argue consolidation often hinders progress, while decentralization promotes healthy competition. Chris advocates divisionalizing to optimize your strategy. They explore conquering inertia, maximizing strengths by pruning the unnecessary and structuring for change. The curiosity continues in part two of this engaging conversation pruning the unnecessary to focus on strengths. With this concept of innovation and in limitations, it leads to, I think, a natural progression to the next piece that Rami had spoken about was finding customer limitations. And he had three, and you talked about one earlier, that You find customer limitations through the customer eyes, through the market's eyes, and then through the product's eyes. Yeah. And so what are your thoughts on that? Because as a sales leader here and as an entrepreneur, right, certainly sometimes if, and he says in order too, it should be customer, market, and product. But as you know, and we've talked about many times too, hey, I built the product. So I'm going to start from the product because if I build it, they will come right? Because many customers don't understand the limitations. They can't foresee the reality of a product without this limitation. Before Connect and Sell came around, certainly folks didn't complain about the real limitations because they didn't know a reality without the limitation of, wait, I just press a button and I don't have gatekeepers and everything else. And so, or the Henry Ford, if I asked the customer what they wanted, right, they'd all be still riding horses. So what do you think about that with customer market and product and as far as a blueprint, if you will, to find customer limitations for innovation? Well, I always think of it in terms of what's the unit of change, what's the cost of change, what's the probability of change? Mm. So the unit of change, you got to know what's the unit of change. Is the customer going to change their mind, their business, point of view, the value that they're hoping to get? What's going to change there? The market, always interesting, the market is going to say, hey, here's some alternatives. Here's ways of looking at this. Whatever my way is, they're going to have some other ones. So the unit of change is they don't go with me. They go with somebody else or they do nothing, which is the most common one. The product is the most interesting one in this regard. You can design products for change or you can design products for perfection, for great fit. And they're two different things. So the whole idea of software is, so to speak, all software products are designed for change. This is why software is eating the world. You can do tricks with software. Think of the Tesla. Teslas download new software all the time, and they keep getting smarter. It's not that the car was delivered to you smart. It's that the car's getting smarter sitting out there charging in your garage right now. Elon Musk identified a unit of change that was super valuable. And customers are delighted in it because it's like, 
wow, look at that. Well, how does the car show that it's smart? It has a big old screen that can show you new things on it. So it can make its new smartness obvious, right? So designing for change is hard. Nobody in design classes teaches design for change. Like when you're writing code, I've always been a fanatic. And you know, I've been writing code since 68, right? I know people laugh when I say that. It's like, like 1868? <laughs> no, I'm exceptionally well-preserved. 1968. Sure. So... Maybe 1768, anticipating uh, some events on the eastern seaboard of the U.S. But I've been writing code for a long time. I'm not very creative when it comes to writing code. Like, I don't like tricks. I don't like some tricky way of doing something. I did for a little bit, and then I decided. But the main way that we design code for change is just to make it readable. Hmm. Make it readable so you can read it to your mom. Hmm. So my rule always when I hired great developers is we get in a room, we do two things. One is we decide what all the words mean. All the words in the business need a formal definition. They need a comparative definition. It's one of these and not one of those, right? So you have positive and negative. And it needs an extensive definition. There is an example of one. And every word that we're going to use of significance in the business goes on the whiteboard with three definitions. It generally takes about three days. Everybody is so impatient during this process. They're like, we hate you, we hate you, we hate you. But an example, Chris, would be what? A good lead or a, an ideal client. Is that what you're, you're yeah, speaking? Or, exactly. Or in our case, it's like, what's a dial? Mm, what's a dial? That's what's a one. dial? Yeah. Right? Connect and so we have a very, very specific definition of what a dial is. What does navigated mean when it's applied to a dial? These are very formal, tight, tight concepts. When somebody misuses one of those words because they're fresh to the company, they'll get corrected by the CEO because mm-hmm. that's the most important thing is that the language we speak is within our own time domain, hyper precise. There are no colloquial terms used to describe anything that we do. Because the language expresses the tolerances within our machine. We want tight tolerances so we don't have sloppy action. And then we have lubrication so that it doesn't burn up. Lubrication tends to be we're funny with each other. right? That's the lubrication is humor. So you want tight language tolerances. You want something that loosens it up a little bit and cools it off because it's tight. But readability... The equivalent of readability is there in every product. Is it easy to tell how it does what it does so that when we need to use it a little differently in a customer situation, we can without violating what it is? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is the tough part of design. Mm -hmm. And enterprise products are really unusual in this regard because they have long, long, long survivorship. I have enterprise products in the field today that I designed in 1983 that are still being used. The lock-in on enterprise products is extremely long. Hmm. And so now the question is, well, do we know how it works? Do we know? It's not just enough to go, oh, it has this feature, this function, this trick, and so forth. The constraint on change, the unit of change is somewhere inside of there. So we have a situation right now at Connect Itself. It's a customer who is at the edge of B2B. And they're kind of doing some business to consumer stuff. And they need to do something really important, which is to take credit card information over the phone. Well, everybody knows that Connect and Sell is not a call center 
outbound system. Mm -hmm. So do we have that built in? Well, we do have something built in. And it's something that is very easy to apply in a certain way, but only across a whole organization. So now what's the unit of change? Do you take one organization and say it's two in a connect and sell sense? That is, we divisionalize so that each one can innovate separately. Or do we say, no, it's more efficient to have them together, but now I have to have more if-then-else kind of statements, tricks, in order to do one thing rather than the other. You know where my tendency is, which is split them and eat the inefficiency yeah. so that you gain the flexibility that comes from knowing how the damn thing works, right? Mm -hmm. But there will always be arguments on both sides when any and all Goldbrats are talking about the theory of constraints. Ultimately, you're talking about the theory of change. Because, okay, I've identified the constraint. Now, if I didn't change, what's that all about? Oh, fantastic, Chris. Yeah, yeah. He talks about, a lot about uh, you know, identifying it is this concept of the tail and the dog, where once you see tails in the world, once you're trained to see the tails in the world, just like what you had just explained with the product and how you look at code, you're always in search of the dog. And so one of the examples he gave was with, GoPro, the GoPro camera. And the tale was the following. The inventors, the innovators of the GoPro camera, they were already video cameras when GoPro came around, but they observed that surfers in the Southern California, Carlsbad area and the surf, they were taping, wrapping their video cameras in plastic and waterproof containers to get right in the heart of the action as you're going through a tube, as you're getting started on the wave and take these incredible shots. And these same folks were the same type of extreme athletes that wanted to strap them to the front of their mountain bike as they're going through these precarious trails and record the motion in a mere traditional Sony Handycam wouldn't do. And so they jury rigged all these other protection mechanisms. And so the tale was a small group of customers who spend extensively a lot of money an effort to satisfy a specific need that they had. And we'll be back in a moment after a quick break. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer, investor, or partner is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's time to really go big, you need to use an uncommon methodology to gain attention, frame your thoughts, and employ a successful sequencing that is fresh enough to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. From crafting just the right cold call screenplays to curating and mapping the ideal call list for your entire TAM, Branch 49's modern and innovative sales toolbox offers a guiding hand to ambitious organizations in their quest to reach market dominance. Learn more at branch49.com. And we're back with Corey and Chris. And what's the need that they're trying to satisfy? Well, and then is that need um, potentially relevant for other customers? The size of the dog, if you will, right? Is it a big dog or is it a small dog? And then how much effort does the market, does this company, does this innovation need to do to satisfy that need? And so he says that there's oftentimes companies that have these tails that end up being a small dog. He also said something very humorous, I thought, which says a tail plus a tail plus a tail plus a tail is not a dog. <laughs> it's a right. And the example he gave on that is Botox. 
where Botox, right? People, hey, Botox, you know, invented, everyone wants to feel younger, but he wants to, you know, get rid of stretch lines on their face and culture and be accepted. Or maybe it's if you're a Hollywood starlet and you want to do all these things. But the limitation, the reason why it's not a dog yet, it's still a tail, is because needles. Because the molecules are too big to have something that you can rub or a pill you take. So you still have the barrier of putting a needle. And a lot of people don't want to do that. So it's not a dog yet. It's still a tail because it's ostensibly a small group still of folks who are willing to do it. And so when you look at what your market is, as you know, Clayton Christensen, the Innovators Development, you come up with this software, this weapon that um, folks didn't know that this limitation of getting rid of gatekeepers and voicemails, they didn't even conceptualize that that could be a possibility in the world of sales. You guys created it and that's the tale. And the dog is, is look at this industry that as a result of that, do you see that? Have you experienced that tail and dog and in other industries, certainly with a lot of the clients that you deal with, you probably see it pretty often. Yeah. I mean, I think the tail and the dog is kind of everything, right? And you got to start with the tail mm-hmm. and you're guessing about the dog. Yeah. You, know, you got to kind of like, you got to pull the tail towards you and go, okay, how big is this dog? Or is it just a funny shaped dog that's got a big <laughs> ass, but you know, a little stubby front legs? That's right. That's right. He says, ultimately, remember, you want the dog, not the tail. So if you're trying to create something, don't live in the world of trying to make the tail better. You're trying to go for the dog. Right, right. But you got to make the tail good enough. I mean, if this stuff were easy, everybody would do it, right? Everybody tries it. Most people are smart enough not to do it because they recognize that 90 hours a week is a long time to work and neglect to your family has its limits. That becomes the constraint to actually call that a back-end constraint. it's over there yeah it's like oh no now Corey, i'm sorry you're only allowed to have zero children and you can't interact (laughs) because you don't have time for either one of those activities Mm -hmm. i don't know the algorithm for that i know like everything else it comes down to cost and time and more time than cost that is you only have so much time to figure out something and if you haven't figured it out in a certain amount of time you have a big choice to make, which is, yeah. are you going on faith that you're going to figure it out? Or are you going to go change tails, right? And try to figure it out. And you're talking about when you're stuck. When you're yeah. stuck. Yeah. And you're always stuck. When you're at the tail, you're just plain old stuck. Yeah. You're stuck about the dog. You might not be stuck about the tail. But, oh, look, you know, we put this thing together and it turns out it needs a mounting capability that goes on somebody's head. And now that mm-hmm. we have that, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. Right. Oh, but that tends to slip down and get between their nose and then they hate it. And okay, we got to have another little thing that's a strap on the back. Great. We're in tail land. We're tailing it up, right? Yep. Yep. Getting to this question of, is it a dog? One of the issues with that is there are people who want it to be a dog. It also comes down to this. What does somebody want it to be? What do they believe Mm. that it Mm. is? And Mm. then... Who's willing to look at the evidence? How much does it cost to get the evidence? How much time do we have to get the evidence? By the way, we're busy putting another strap on that damn thing Mm -hmm. or making it a different color or, you know, using it for some slightly different purpose. I actually think this is where markets take care of what we cannot. And we tend to be somewhat victimized by them. And it's also why the folks who build these incredible products are not exactly everybody's friend. Mm-hmm. You know, Steve Jobs is not everybody's friend. Do you think you could name at the time of his death, could he have named 
50 people who are close personal friends of his. Mm, yeah, for sure. That would help him out in any situation that mm. he could call. No, that wouldn't happen because his genius, and I'm speculating here, but his genius was, is pretty insistent. And people who are pretty insistent have fewer friends. Yeah. I insist. I insist. If all you say is I insist, and then you fire people who disagree with you, well, <laughs> you don't have that many friends, right? But I think that sometimes as we look at all of these factors, we don't take into account this fundamental human factor, which is, and we say it about salespeople, we say, oh, well, the need to be liked, that's pretty bad in a salesperson. Oh, really? And exactly how do we go in and do surgery on somebody's soul so they no longer have a need to be liked by other human oh, beings? Oh, for sure, Chris. Oh, yeah. Just, come on, give me a break here. Well, it's funny you bring that up here as we come up against the top of the hour. So this old book here, right? And I'm, for those at home, it's the Tao Te Ching, the book of the way, right? Bit, written by our friend Lao Tzu, circa, what, Chris, five, 600 BC, I think, something along that, a long well, time we ago. Call, we call that a while ago. Yes. I don't even think you were coding back in 500 BC. Uh, well, I can tell you, my, I was writing in Fortran. But exactly what you said, I think we're going to end on this note. This is from one of them, one of his lessons, number 27, where he calls hidden values. And talk about the need to be liked and the value of kind of inherent value inside of the folks that inspire innovation. He says, good hikers need no maps. Good speakers need no scripts. Good counters need no abacus. Good guards need no locks. The wise, trusting in goodness, see the potential in others, treating no one as an outcast. Trusting in goodness, they redeem all things. Nothing is worthless to them. They recognize the real hidden value. The wise take the lost, the seemingly lost, under their wings, and so the seemingly lost become newfound treasures of the wise. Each is valuable to the other. This is the significance of spirituality. And when you talk about what we've talked about with the constraints, dealing with the false negatives, as well as the false positive, the exhaust, the signals, the innovation, knowing what to say no to, I think that you really conceptualized exactly why Connected Cell is so successful, why you're such a great mentor, and all the people you've taken under your wings, the Toms of the world, and everybody in your skunk work projects, et cetera, because nothing is lost. All these folks have signals and exhaust that can deliver to the bigger picture. So I thought that was very right. My, I was like, I got to find a way to bring this in. And what did you do? You brought it right home to Ruth. So, so final thoughts, Chris, on the theory of constraints, Mr. Lao Tzu, in this episode here, this fanboy episode on Rami Goldratt. Yeah. Well, thank you, Rami Goldratt, <laughs> for carrying on this work. It is a boulder that we never get to the top of the hill. It never, mm. this is one of the rare things. Well, not that rare. There's a lot of things in life like this, right? Where it never rolls downhill for us, where if we want it, we have to push it up the hill. Mm. And theory of constraints is one of those things that will never roll down the hill. But that's the juice though, isn't it? That effort, that exercise is the juice, which keeps knuckleheads like you and I still doing this over and over and over again versus we like the occasional Mai Tai and margarita, but right? To me, at least, right? I don't want to speak for, for you, the sage of sales here, but isn't that, that's a little bit of the driving force behind it is that endless. It's a, uh, it's a huge part. If it were a, a trivially solvable problem, it would be solved. 
Right? The understanding of the theory of constraints is fairly straightforward. The acceptance of it is harder. The application of it is idiosyncratic. That's the nature of it. Every system is different from every other system yeah. in many, many ways, except for one. They all have one constraint. And so, you know, we can count to one, but that doesn't give us the answer. It just tells us we need to go look and that we need to go look. And it's so difficult in a world where we must value ourselves as others value us. We don't have an alternative to that. We're not very good as a species in playing loner. Yeah. Some people are better than others, but nobody's perfect at it. And so here we are in a world full of people who need to feel important with a theory of how systems work, a true theory of how systems work. This is like a unified field theory. It's a dun-dun that basically says most of us, most of the time, just need to be carrying on, carrying on. We're not that important except to the degree that we're building flexibility for change, change tricks, not do tricks, that sit in our inventory when it's our turn. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that, especially the aspect of being loners. I'm glad you're not a loner, Chris. Otherwise, this would be the market dominance guy versus market dominance guys. And so as always, Chris, we're going to let you get back to the fetching Miss Finucci. And all the stuff that you guys do, the brilliance that you come out of your dinners and your wines and your walks and everything else. The sales world is much better for it. So for the Market Dominance guys and Chris Beal, this is Corey Frank. Until next time. Connect and Sell, welcome to the end of dialing as you know it. Give your fingers a rest with Connect and Sell's patented technology. You'll load your best sales folks up with eight to ten times more live qualified conversations every day. And when we say qualified, we're talking about really qualified, like knowing how many tears they shed while watching the end of Toy Story, kind of qualified. Learn more at connectandsell.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to marketdominanceguys.com and subscribe. Mm-hmm.